You're listening to the Dwell on These Things podcast, a regular dose of Christ-centered encouragement to put your mind in a better place. Listen in as Pastor John Stonge shares Bible studies, interviews, training, and some of his most recent sermons. We're glad to have you with us today. Well, good evening and welcome to our midweek Bible study. We're grateful to have you with us, and uh, we have a group of people joining us live, and some of you I know are accessing this via our podcast, so we're grateful to have you with us in that capacity as well. And we've been looking through the book of 1 John, so tonight we're going to be looking at 1 John chapter 2, starting with verse 18, and in just a a few moments we'll look down through verse 27. So 1 John chapter 2, starting with verse 18, and we'll, we'll work down to verse 27 as we talk about the Apostle John's warning against antichrists. And so he, he mentioned some, some things in this portion of Scripture related to this subject, and this is a subject that I think is somewhat curious. It's, a, it's, it's kind of an interesting subject that I don't know that many people are well acquainted with the teaching of the Bible in regard to uh, what John is stating here, but also what some of the other passages of Scripture happen to say related to the Antichrist or uh, small a, Antichrists, as John references here in this passage. But that's what we're going to be talking about this evening as we look at this portion of First John. Now, the book of 1 John was written by the Apostle John right around A.D. 90, and as we mentioned in previous weeks, he he wrote this from the city of Ephesus before he was exiled to the island of Patmos. And we know, as we've talked about multiple weeks, that John tried to accomplish multiple things with this letter, including helping to bolster the faith of the believers and to correct false teaching that was being spread. And I'm referencing this again this evening as we look at this portion of Scripture, because the false teaching that was being spread, John is actually addressing some of the root of that in this portion of Scripture that we're looking at tonight. He he addresses the source of this false teaching and where this false teaching was originating from. But throughout the course of this letter, you have John stressing a variety of concepts. He stresses concepts like having fellowship with God. He stresses the the need for believers to confess our sin to one another uh, and also to confess our sin to the Lord. He stresses the idea of loving God, loving one another, knowing God personally, and acknowledging Christ's divinity. And in fact, just like he does in the Gospel of John, he acknowledges the divinity of Christ right away in this book. And it's it's fascinating to see how he does so, and uh, the benefit that we receive as we read it together. Now, in tonight's passage that we're about to look at in just a moment, you have the Apostle John teaching us about what he refers to as antichrists. And notice that uh, that I have here on our screen, small a, as I'm referencing antichrists. But what he's going to stress here is is the behavior patterns to look for in in regard to these these quote antichrists but he's also going to be demonstrating the benefits that come to us as we abide in Christ and what that looks like from our perspective as believers so let's dig into this together and one of the things that we'll see in the opening two verses that we're looking at tonight first john chapter 2 starting with verse 18 and I'll read verse 18 and verse 19 in just a moment but he's going to tell us here that many antichrists have come. Now, what does he mean by that? Well, let me read first for us what he says here in this passage. He says, children, it is the last hour. And as you have heard that Antichrist is coming, so now many Antichrists have come. Therefore, we know that it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out, that it might become plain that they are not of us. So think about some of the things that the Apostle John is trying to communicate here. Some very interesting things. Now, he starts us off here in verse 18 by telling us that this is the last hour. And this is a perspective that we as believers throughout the centuries have had. We don't know when Christ is going to return. He could return today. He could return tomorrow. He could return 100 years from now. We don't know. But this phrase here, the last hour, this is referring to the time 
after Christ has been crucified and resurrected, and in, in between that time, so in between the resurrection of Christ and the return of Christ, that is effectively the last hour. So it's this last season, is what he's saying, this last hour. And he's, he's trying to convey a sense of imminency, a sense of expectation, the fact that Jesus could come back at any minute. But he also tells us here that Antichrist is coming. So he says it this way. He says, children, it is the last hour, and as you have heard that Antichrist is coming, so now many Antichrists have come. Now, I don't know how many of us have taken time to look at some of the prophetic portions of Scripture and some of the things that Scripture reveals to us about the end times. And uh, and I'll even acknowledge there are many different perspectives on the end times and how this all works together. And so even as I share my perspective, I'm not going to be overly dogmatic about some aspects. I really just prefer to stick to the text, but I'll give you some, some perspective on, on uh, what I think it's speaking of here. But when you look through the prophetic portions of the Old Testament, when you look through the prophetic portions of the New Testament, and even some prophetic statements that are made in some of the letters, you can see that there are things that the Lord has revealed that are on the horizon. And he's told us about certain things ahead of time so that when they happen, it first of all confirms that the Scriptures are true because the Lord has revealed these things to us in His Word, but it also demonstrates that none of these things have caught the Lord off guard and prophetically, it was revealed to the Apostle John that this individual he refers to as the Antichrist was going to be coming. Now, when you look at the uh, the book of Daniel, when you go through the book of Daniel, you could see in the book of Daniel that there's this, this individual that is going to come, that's going to serve as as a world ruler, and so we see this in the book of Daniel prophetically related to this this world ruler that's going to come that ultimately is opposed to the work of God. And then you get into places like the book of 2 Thessalonians, and you also get into the the book of Revelation, and then you also see in John's writings, uh, in addition to Revelation, that, that he keeps bringing up this individual that's referred to as the Antichrist, so this one who opposes the work of Christ and does so on a major scale. And by the way, if you want to read up a little bit more on this this individual, a couple places I'd encourage you to look are Second Thessalonians chapter 2, and uh, also the book of Revelation. If you look at chapter 13, you can see some details about this Antichrist that's coming. And so you have John speaking of this individual, this world ruler, who's going to, to ultimately uh, seek to oppose the work of Christ in major ways. But he also says, so now many Antichrists have come. And that's kind of an interesting statement, because I don't think people think of the concept of the Antichrist being a plural thing. We tend to think of the main guy that specifically, the, you know, the one referenced in Revelation 13, we tend to think of that individual uh, primarily when we use that term. But John says many antichrists have come. So what is he talking about when he's saying many antichrists have come? Well, he's talking about people who operate with the same mindset as the, the antichrist that's going to be a world ruler, saying that there are many people that, that have that same heart attitude, that same mindset where they are trying to oppose the work of Christ. They're trying to uh, ultimately prevent the work of Christ from succeeding. Now, they won't succeed, but they at least try. Their heart attitude is one where they're opposing the work that Christ is trying to do in individual lives. They're trying to oppose the, the work that Christ is doing in in groups of people, in communities, in nations. And so John is saying, all right, it's the last hour. The Antichrist is coming. Many Antichrists have come. And he says that's confirmation. Therefore, we know that it is the last hour. You could tell by the activity that's taking place that that the time is short, that Satan is ultimately trying to uh, use certain people that align with the, the message of Satan to oppose the work of Christ, because there's a sense of urgency knowing that it's the last hour, the last opportunity to do this. And John even says that some of these individuals initially portrayed themselves as being part of the church. And he says in verse 19, he says, they went out from us, but they were not of us. So he's saying they went out from us, but they were not of us. So from and of are the emphasis here 
He says, they went out from us, but they were not of us. And he says this, he says, for if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that it might become plain that they all are not of us. So he's describing here individuals who, again, portrayed themselves as being part of the early church, but then they demonstrate that they're not part of the early church, or that they're not part of the church, that they don't believe ultimately in Christ because they go out from the fellowship of the church. Instead of supporting the work of the church and remaining in covenant with the work of the church, they end up leaving the church, and then they oppose the work of the church. And and, and John says that that shows that they it, it becomes plain that they are not of the body of Christ, that they are not part of the fellowship of the church. They're not part of the fellowship of Christians because they demonstrate that by going out from the church instead of staying with it. And uh, another aspect of this that many commentators speak of is, is the fact that these are individuals that start out professing that they believe true doctrine, but then they go out and they start promoting false doctrine and false teaching. And as I shared uh, just a few minutes ago, one of the purposes that John had in writing this book was to uh, demonstrate correct doctrine and teach correct doctrine and confront false beliefs because there were these antichrists that were going out from the church, demonstrating that they weren't actually part of the church, but they were going out from the church and they were promoting false doctrines and confusing people, particularly in that era before the New Testament scriptures were all written down. And uh, they they were they were confusing people, and people were and people ended up believing false doctrines that then had to be corrected by the apostle John, and and we see the other apostles, uh, you know, correcting false doctrine in their writings as well. But until that information was disseminated and taught and agreed to, you had people taking advantage of those days of the early church by basically trying to oppose the work of Christ. And so John says, many antichrists have come, many people have come who have opposed Christ's efforts and his work, and who have opposed the teaching of Scripture and the clear proclamation of the gospel. Lenny goes on when you get into verse 20 down to verse 23, and he shows us that we have been made able to discern the truth. So there are people out there promoting falsehood, but we've been made able to discern the truth. And the way he phrases this here, when you look at verse 20 down to verse 23, he says it this way. He says, but you have been anointed by the Holy One and you all have knowledge. I write to you not because you do not know the truth, but because you know it, and because no lie is of the truth. Who is the liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? This is the Antichrist, he who denies the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever confesses the Son has the Father also. Now, that's just a few short verses, but there's a lot of content packed in these verses. So let's look at it a piece at a time. In verse 20, he says, but you have been anointed by the Holy One. So he's drawing a contrast here between believers and those that are uh, aligned with Satan, those that he's referring to here as antichrists. He's saying the difference between a believer and an unbeliever, he says, a believer has been anointed by the Holy One. So set apart by God for a task. Uh, consecrated as holy in the eyes of God, blessed by God, adopted into the family of God, anointed by the Holy One, set apart as belonging to God, as God's possession. He says, as those who've been set apart this way, you all have knowledge. Now, how do we have knowledge? Well, one of the things that Scripture reveals to us is that as we trust in Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit takes up residence within us, and He specifically reminds us of, of the things that Jesus taught. He reminds us of the things that Jesus communicated. So that's how we have knowledge divinely given to us, reminded to us, uh, or we're reminded by the Spirit of this truth. And it points, you know, that the, the truth that we're being reminded of is pointing us toward Christ. And so John here is saying, we've been anointed by the Holy One, we have knowledge, this is divinely given to us, and he says, I write to you not because you do not know the truth, but because you know it, and because no lie is of the truth. So he's saying, I'm writing to you um, almost like a refresher. I'm writing to you not because you're ignorant of the truth, I'm writing to you because you know the truth, and I want to stir you up. I want to I make sure that you are focused on the truth of the gospel. 
and that that never leaves your mind, that that never leaves your focus. But in verse 22, he says this, who is the liar, but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ. And that's, in fact, what some of these antichrists, in fact, what all of them were doing. They were denying who Jesus is. They were denying that Jesus is the Messiah, the one who had come to rescue and redeem mankind. They were denying the fact that Jesus was divine. They were denying the fact that Jesus is the Son of God. He's saying that's who the liar is, the one who denies that Jesus is the Christ. And he says this is the Antichrist, he who denies the Father and the Son. And it's interesting when you look at verse 23, because he he shows kind of a it's like a like a back and forth that's kind of interesting here. But he says, no one who denies the Son has the Father. So that's the first part of that statement. No one who denies the Son has the Father. Now, there were people in that era who claimed to have a relationship with God the Father, but then they denied that Jesus is one with the Father. They denied that Jesus was the Son of God. And so you have the Apostle John saying, all right, if you deny that Jesus is the Son of God, you, you do not have the Father, right? He says, no one who denies the Son has the Father. You don't have a relationship with the Father if you ignore the Son. And he says, whoever confesses the Son has the Father also. So Scripture tells us that the only way to the Father is through Jesus, who is the way, the truth, and the life. And whoever confesses the Son, whoever admits that Jesus is the Son of God, the Christ, the Messiah, Lord, Whoever confesses that Jesus is their Lord, whoever confesses the Son, has the Father also. And so it's interesting that John is bringing these things up here, because what he's doing is he's actually confronting specific falsehoods that these antichrists have been promoting. Then he goes on, when you look at verse 24 and verse 25, to encourage us to keep the truth of the gospel in our heart. He says this in in that passage. He says, let what you heard from the beginning abide in you. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, then you too will abide in the Son and in the Father. And this is the promise that he made to us, eternal life. So what does he mean by this, especially when he uses the phrase abide? Because he's using that phrase in a way that sometimes I I don't know that we typically speak this way. But he says, let what you heard from the beginning abide in you. And here what he's talking about is is the truth of the gospel, the fact that Jesus Christ came to this earth, lived the perfect life on our behalf, died death in our place, rose from the grave victorious over sin, Satan, and death, and shares that victory and shares new life and the forgiveness of sins with all who trust in him. And so John is telling us that that gospel message that we've heard from the beginning, saying, let that abide in you. Let that remain in you. Stay rooted in that. Stay rooted in that truth. Let it abide in you. And he says, if that gospel message, if what you've heard from the beginning, the truth of the gospel, if it remains in you, if it abides in you, then you too will abide in the Son and in the Father, or that then you two will remain in the Son and in the Father. So if the truth of God, the gospel, remains in us, then we remain in the Lord. If, if the gospel is rooted deeply in our heart, we stay connected to the Son and to the Father. And so John is encouraging us to, to foster that kind of relationship and that kind of commitment to the truth of the gospel. And he says, here's what happens as we are connected to the Son of God, as we are abiding in the Son and in the Father. He says, and this is the promise that he made to us, eternal life. So through Jesus Christ, we find eternal life. Those who abide in Jesus Christ receive the gift of eternal life. They show that they genuinely believe in him. And again, this is a contrast, because you have people that, d- that did not abide. They didn't remain in, in the fellowship of the church. They didn't remain in Christ. They demonstrated that they didn't truly believe in Christ to begin with by going out from the church and then promoting false, you know, just false teaching and falsehood that was leading people astray. But here John was saying, that those who abide in the Son, those who trust in Jesus Christ, those who remain rooted in Christ, receive the gift 
of eternal life. And he says that's a promise that Christ made to us. That's the promise he made to us, that you give us eternal life. That's something I take great comfort in, uh, because certainly this world can't promise me anything like that. But Christ made that promise to me. He made that promise to you. And if we remain in him, if we abide in the Son and in the Father, we have eternal life. One other thing he brings up here, and I hope we'll notice this. I think there's a lot of examples to this culturally that we can point out. But he also brings up in verses 26 and 27 that Satan is actively trying to deceive us. So what does it look like to to recognize that Satan is actively trying to deceive you? Well, in verses 26 and 27, he says it this way. He says, I write these things to you about those who are trying to deceive you. But the anointing that you received from him abides in you, and you have no need that anyone should teach you. But as his anointing teaches you about everything and is true and is no lie, just as it has taught you, abide in him. So he keeps emphasizing this idea of remaining rooted in Christ and and remaining uh, connected to Christ and and you know just remaining in Him. But he says, I, "I write these things to you about those who are trying to deceive you." So again, you know, he's pointing out these people that he's calling antichrists, these false teachers that are promoting a false gospel and false beliefs and things that really come down to the work of our hands instead of resting in the work that Christ accomplished on our behalf. He's saying, I'm writing these things to you about those who are trying to deceive you. And here's the thing, Satan is actively trying to deceive us, and he frequently uses other people to accomplish that task. There are people in this world that don't even recognize the fact that they are aligning themselves with Satan by uh, adopting a worldly mindset and worldly teaching and a worldly perspective, and they end up promoting that worldly perspective. And before you know it, they, they find themselves deceiving others as they have been deceived, and Satan actively tries to do that. I believe that Satan in this generation uses all sorts of means. He uses individuals to do that, He also uses large media corporations. He uses social media. He he uses entertainment. He uses things that, you know, at one point I used to consider reliable sources of news. And now sometimes I think, am I just trying to be emotionally manipulated? I don't really trust this content any longer. I don't know if others feel that way, but I certainly feel that way. And I, I see all sorts of things that I feel like, I feel like I'm trying, like, like Satan is actively trying to use this, this means or this media to try and deceive me in a variety of ways by promoting falsehood and then causing people to believe that it's true. And John here is saying, listen, be aware of this. Be aware that this is an activity that's actively taking place all around you. He says, I write these things to you about those who are trying to deceive you. There are those that are actively trying to deceive you. There are those who are actively trying to get you and I to believe things that are false, things that are lies because there's an agenda behind it. But in verse 27, he says, but the anointing that you received from him abides in you. So the Lord set us apart as his own, and he opened up our eyes, and he's given us insight through his spirit so that we would understand things that aren't naturally perceived. He says, the anointing you receive from him abides in you. It remains in you, that anointing. You have no need that anyone should teach you. Now, he's not saying ignore teaching. But he's saying, the Lord has given you something that no man could have given you. He's revealed things to you that no man could have ultimately made your eyes able to perceive. But he's not saying, ignore teaching. Uh, otherwise, why would we even gather like we're doing right now for a Bible study? I, I remember um, when I was in college, there was actually a student that quit attending the Bible college because he came to this verse and he said, you know what's easier than studying for my classes? Claiming that this verse gives me permission not to have to study and not to have to submit myself to the authority of my teachers. He said, you know what? I have no need that anyone should teach me. And um, and he used this as his his proof text for that. And that's not what John's trying to get at here. He's saying he, he's he's ultimately showing us the power of the Spirit of God to reveal things to us that we would not naturally perceive. He's not saying there's no use in human teachers. In fact, Scripture is very clear that human teachers can convey the truth that the Spirit is trying to convey. And in fact, when John was writing these things down, what was he doing? He's teaching, and he's proclaiming, and he's making the message of the gospel known, and he's reinforcing things to our hearts that aren't naturally perceived. 
And then he says, but as his anointing teaches you about everything and is true and is no lie, just as it has taught you, abide in him. So remain in him who has been teaching you about everything. Remain in him who is revealing truth to your eyes and to your heart. Remain connected to him. Remain rooted in him who is revealing truth to your heart because Satan is actively trying to deceive you. And I'll say this, if we're not in prayer, if we're not in the scriptures, and if the majority of our time is spent allowing the uh, devices of this world to inform us and entertain us and be the source of information that is basically our our constant go-to, we're basically setting ourselves up to be easily deceived. But here John is saying, focus on the truth of the gospel. Focus on the truth of Scripture that the Lord has revealed. Focus on the teaching of the Spirit as He is directly speaking to our minds and speaking to our hearts and reminding us of all things that Jesus revealed and taught during the course of His earthly ministry. Now, we're going to be talking about these things in just a moment, but I will say this. We have uh, some additional Bible study times coming up, so I'll mention these dates real quick and the subjects, even before we start talking about some of the questions that we have related to what we just looked at. But on April 27th, we're going to be looking at 1 John chapter 2, verse 28, all the way to chapter 3, verse 10, where we talk about what it means to be children of God. Then May 11th, we're going to get together again, and we're going to be talking about what John meant when he encouraged us to love one another as believers in Christ, and he demonstrated that in 1 John chapter 3, verses 11 through 24. And then on May 25th, we're going to get together and talk about what he meant when he said, test the spirits. He encourages us to test the spirits. Well, what does that mean? Well, he explains that in 1 John chapter 4, verses 1 through 6. So April 27th, May 11th, May 25th, we hope that if your time allows that you'll join us for those Bible studies on that on those evenings as well. But now we're going to take some time to discuss some of the things that we just looked at. So I'm going to stop my screen share here. I'm going to bring everybody up on our screen. And uh, I have a few questions for us. And um, and maybe someone will be brave and be our icebreaker to get us going tonight. But in, um, uh, in, in the opening verses that we looked at, he used this term, the last hour. He's talking about the last hour. And the last hour, that began with the death and resurrection of Jesus. And his second coming can now occur at any time. But we're in between the resurrection of Christ and the return of Christ. So I'm just curious, how often do you think about this season as being what John refers to as the last hour. How often does that thought come to your mind? I wonder, does anyone uh, want to speak to that and kind of get the ball rolling for us tonight? The fact that Scripture refers to this as the last hour. Do you think of this as the last hour? Yeah, Don, go ahead. I I think it's always the last hour, and that uh, I don't know, you know, none of us are guaranteed tomorrow. My my life could be over tonight. Something could happen, and uh, and I don't know. Just the way the world is going now, I'm waiting every Sunday for him to return. I want him to come back when I'm preaching, and that the whole congregation get raised up with him. But uh, I think that it, it, it's kind of always been that way. And if we if if man is always thinking that we're in these last days or the last hours, that's what would draw us to want to be trusting and obeying in the Lord. So um, for me, it feels like right now, these are the last days. And it was said back then. So since then till now, whenever you're alive, you're getting closer to your last day. And no matter what time, you know, when it's been, pick out any date in history, the very next day, we are one day closer to Jesus returning or to us going to him. So uh, the last days are, are, are always coming. So yeah. I think it's now. Yeah. To, to sum that all up, I think it's now. Yeah. And, and, and you think about it, right? Like that's a thought that comes to your mind. This isn't far from your thinking. Yeah. Yeah. Any, anyone else uh, ha- have a thought on that? How often do you think about this being the last hour? as John's describing it. I personally find it motivating to think about that. I think in one sense it can be 
like a, a real curious thing to think about, but I, I do personally find it motivating when I think, hey, you know what? Don't waste time. You don't you don't know how much time you have. Don't waste it. How about this? In in that same stretch there, he um he brings up this idea of people who once professed faith in Christ, demonstrating that they didn't really believe because they they leave the fellowship of the church. They go out from them. And in, in what I believe he's also implying there is that they not only went out, but they went out and then opposed the very thing that they had say, that they had said at one point that they believed. Have you ever personally witnessed something like that? Does anyone have an example of that or or just a comment about that where, where people at one point it looks like they're professing faith in Christ. It looks like they're following Christ, but then given it enough time, you can uh, end up seeing that, oh, you know what? Uh, this was this was kind of a show. This wasn't real. They end up leaving and then do the exact opposite of what they once proclaimed. Anyone have an example of that or something they've seen related to that that they could share? Yeah, Paul. Uh, I don't have an example, but um, my thought goes to uh, the parable of the sower and the seed, uh, where the seed is the word of God. And uh, it falls on all sorts of ground. And the good ground, it bears fruit. But I, I'm, always, uh, I'm always thinking about the one that fall, falls among the, uh, among the weeds. And then the riches of the world and the temptations uh, rule because it doesn't have deep roots. And... Unfortunately, I think that's that's what happens with people who are, uh, I don't want to say flash in the pan, but, you know, they, they hear it. They like they like what they hear. They believe for a while, but then they fall away. Mm-hmm. And sometimes they fall away with an anger because what they were expecting uh, isn't uh, what uh, God was giving. So uh, it, just like uh, the uh, the apostle, the, the, the disciples. Who, who left uh, Jesus because uh, when he started started speaking about the bread of life, I am the bread of life. And uh, they just said that that's too hard a teaching for us. They took and offense at that. Yeah. And then he went to the apostles and said, what about you? Mm-hmm. And Peter spoke for them and said, where else will we go? You know, yeah. you, you have the, you have the words of life. Mm-hmm. So it, uh, I don't, I can't, I don't want to, I don't think, or I don't want to share uh, (laughs) an example of uh, someone I might know, but I think a lot of that also plays into the uh, idea of the the sower and the seed. Yeah, I think that's a great analogy, and I I didn't even think to bring that up, so I'm glad that you brought that up, because, you know, it gives us that example of the things of this world really choking out the fidelity to the gospel that we're supposed to have. You know, a relationship with Christ that is supposed to be paramount in our lives. And so often the temptations of this world or the worries of this world or all sorts of things that get dangled in front of us and, and look like it's it's so good and so important. And all of a sudden we find ourselves drifting toward, um, you know, worldly things instead of our fidelity to Christ. I have to say one thing that concerns me, uh, so I've, I've been pastoring full-time for 23 years and pastored part-time for a couple of years prior to that. Uh, one of the things that I've noticed in recent days in particular is that there seems to be a strong desire from worldliness or for worldliness to come from the pulpit. And what I mean by that is this, I, I have received feedback in, in recent years from time to time from people that really want me to use the pulpit that I've been entrusted with to promote different social agendas or political agendas and things like that. And I get frustrated with that from time to time because I think, no, my goal every week is to present the word of God, to proclaim the gospel clearly and accurately, to not get up there and and basically just be an extension of the news. <laughs> I'm, I'm not just trying to be an extension of the news, you know, I, I, or, or an extension of popular culture. Uh, I, I want to get up and faithfully proclaim the scriptures. And at the end of our time gathered together for worship, if we can say that the scriptures were accurately proclaimed and we were shown how the scriptures point us directly to Jesus, and as a result, our hearts were prompted to worship Christ. We've done what we were called to do. 
uh, it's not my calling. It's not the calling on other pastors to get up there and just be an extension of uh, the local news or the national news or the world news or whatever, you know, whatever's coming down, you know, the line. I, and so I, I get a little frustrated with that from time to time. And I think that that kind of plays into some of this, this idea of um, people professing faith, but then demonstrating they don't really believe because they go out from the church. I've actually experienced that firsthand as a pastor where uh, people have, I've seen them leave the church because the church never seemed to get around to preaching on whatever their pet topic was <laughs> or their pet subject was. They got frustrated or bored with the preaching of the word. And I, I think, well, if you're getting bored with the preaching of the word, you probably don't yet get the point of the word of God and why it's more important than whatever Time magazine has on the cover or whatever the national news is proclaiming this week. It's eternal, not temporary. So that's certainly a subject I can harp on for a long time. Anyone want to hear me harp on that even longer? Because I think about that one a lot. Paul, you look like you've got something to say. Uh, no, I, I was just going to say uh, it's not only that our, our faithful uh, will try to get us to be involved in, in secular uh, uh, pursuits, but uh, look at what it's done. Uh, when that happens, look, look at, for example, at the uh, the Anglican Communion right now. It's 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 totally broken. Uh, last year, uh, year year before last, it split the Methodist Church in half uh, because uh, in, there are there are those uh, forces within the church that are saying, no, no, you have to do not what Scripture says but what society wants you to do. Yep. And uh, uh, there's, there's only one truth and uh, it's not easy. And uh, sometimes, uh, you know, we become right. I was uh, NPR uh, had a thing a week or two weeks ago where they said that in the United States now, less than 50% of the total population is, uh, is a, uh, attaches itself in some way to any religion. And I'm not just saying Christianity, uh, uh, Islam, uh, Judaism, anything. There are more people in the United States that are not involved in any religion whatsoever than there are. So even now, a religious, a religious in the United States is a minority. Yeah, you, you see a, a a major secularization of of cultural thought right now. I agree. All right. Well, well, let's let's. Uh, I have a few other questions here. I want to pose to you guys while we have time. I'd be curious to hear some of your thoughts on these as well because they relate to what we were just talking about. But you know, what's the big difference between small a antichrists? And the Antichrist that's referenced, you know, particularly in Revelation chapter 13. What's the difference between, you know, you know what I mean when I'm saying small a and, and, and big a? You know, what, what's, what's the difference? I mean, there's also similarity, too. What's the similarity? What's the difference? Um, what do you think? Yeah, Ian. Well, I think in this context, it seems to be um, mainly... Uh, satan uh driven uh, the a force of satan in some manner mm -hmm. yeah yeah so so you have you have individuals that are basically aligning themselves with the mission of satan and you have satan driving this activity with the goal of deceiving people right and i mean you know scripture tells us satan's a liar he loves to deceive this is this is this is his primary objective yeah um does anyone, you know, I, here, here's a real, I, I have no idea what you guys are going to say to this question. This might even seem like a really weird question, but I'm, I'm going to pose it anyway. But do you believe that it's possible? I'll, and I'll, I'll share what I believe about this in a minute, too. I won't, I won't fail to take a side on this. I'm going to take a side on this question in a second. But do you believe it's possible that the person referenced in Revelation, um, that that Antichrist might be alive today or... Do you think those events are about a different time other than our own? So I don't know if anyone wants to go on record and take an opinion on that one. I, I'm certainly willing to give you my opinion on that. I'm not seeing any takers yet. All right. All right. So I'm going to give you my opinion on this. Um, it's my opinion 
so John says, all right, there's many antichrists, right? So there's many people trying to work um, against the work of Christ. And there's going to come a day, it, you know, if you if you interpret the prophetic portions of Scripture like I like I do, you would believe that there's going to come a day when there will be an individual who will be established as a world ruler, as a primary antichrist, someone who who actively opposes the work of God and has a a position of world leadership to do so on a large scale. Now, God is sovereign, and God is omniscient. But Satan is not sovereign, and Satan is not omniscient. So Satan does not know all things. Only God knows all things. And I believe that in every generation, Satan has somebody prepared for that role. I I believe he's just waiting for the opportunity to do something like that. So I think if given the opportunity, he would do that now. Um, I think at some point he's going to be given that opportunity to raise somebody up that fulfills that role. And so it very well may be, I think, you know, the devil has someone in every generation in mind to accomplish that sort of task. But there will come a day when that opportunity is afforded to him. And um, and so I think it's entirely possible that the person referenced in Revelation might be alive today if those events are soon to take place. Or it could be about a different time. I don't know. Uh, but I, I believe that there are people in every generation prepared to do that task. Uh, the things that we see described there, but the things, the details that are described in Revelation 13 are going to come to fruition in time. And um, and so I do believe that it's possible that the person referenced there might actually be alive today. So I'm taking a, a stand on that. Um, just throwing that out there. I don't know if that's a weird question, but it was something I was thinking about when I was preparing for tonight. And I thought I'd just bring that up. But let me let me talk about things that are maybe a little bit less weird in my 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 next question. And I don't even know if I should so much describe that as weird. I just think it's interesting to think about that stuff. And I I try not to be overly dogmatic about some of those things, because I know that some of that we'll find out when we get there. Um, But I I see. Oh, even before we get to the next question, I see two two hands went up. All right, Paul, yours went up first. So we'll go Paul and then we'll go Don. The only thing I wanted to say is that you may be right. We don't know. Uh, scripture tells us too that we see dimly now as in a mirror yep. what later we will see face to face so we don't know but in every generation there has been raised up uh, from from the very beginning uh, individuals that have uh, uh, that have uh, countered the the uh, uh, the Christian message uh, our most recent one I mean if you uh, Stalin, Hitler, you know, go through the names and uh, they've always been there. Uh, the, the the point, though, is that that God is sovereign. Yep. And uh, so he, he he always overcomes. But those who, who can be easily swayed, again, they, their roots are, are, are shallow. Um, they, they can succumb. But uh, it's very possible what you're saying. Um but uh, from when people ask me that kind of a question, I usually tell them that you got to keep your eyes on the prize. That I like to be like the horse that's in Central Park that's got the blinders on, so nothing distracts him from Jesus. Yeah, stay, that's good counsel. Focus on Christ. Keep your eyes focused on Christ. Absolutely, even in the midst of all sorts of haywire that could be going on on either side of us. Yeah, and and Don, you had your hand up too. Go ahead. Uh, I, I was thinking of uh, similar, similarly along the lines with Paul. There, I was thinking of you know some of the some of the key figures in the greatest generation that uh, we had that fought against the different things. And uh, I was going to mention names. I figured that are prevalent and that are here right now that could fit that category. If not the big A, they definitely have some little A's. But then. I don't want people coming to church with signs and marching around. <laughs> and I don't want that to be on the podcast, but I, I do believe the same thing that uh, probably is alive. And it, and it would all depend on the permissive aspect. You know, is God going to permit that, you know, that uh, section of revelations that we read to happen during our lifetimes here? Because uh, I think that would be what would be necessary. 
Mm-hmm. If the mm-hmm. Antichrist is now right now is alive right now, and he's saying, uh, I would have to think he's a teenager for some reason. But I, <laughs> I, I'll now I, I want that to be stricken from the record. Also, that, uh, <laughs> that the Antichrist is a teenager. But unless God, see, God knows, right? God's sovereign and knows all. So, with that being said, along with the thing when we talk about end times and is this the end time? For me. In my belief that uh, that I have Christ abiding in me, so I'm abiding in the Father and his love is there. Whether the end time is next week or a thousand years from now, I'm at peace with that. And if the Antichrist is alive and living next door to me right now here on Home Street, that uh, doesn't bother me either because the peace of Christ lives in me. So mm-hmm. It, mm-hmm. it's almost like it's the things you can think about to keep you, keep me connected. Because that that would be one of those things. If these are the end times, I want to be right with God. Mm-hmm. If the Antichrist is alive right now, I want to be right with God. So all of that fuels me. And then having my relationship I have with him removes the worry. And I have the peace that, that dwells in me. Even if tomorrow's the last day and the Antichrist, I have teenagers living in my house. So, I mean, it could be here right now. <laughs> so that's all I want to say. Sorry. I have teenagers too. I, they're getting a bad rap tonight, though. <laughs> yeah, I think you want to strike strike that one too. Yeah, strike uh, it too. <laughs> yeah, I, I just wanted to add too. Uh, Thomas Akempis in his work, The Imitation of Christ, said that if ever you see another man die or another person die, make account that you too must ask the same way, and never let death take you unprepared, because many die suddenly, and when they least expect that the Son of Man will come. So I, I think the idea is we need to live our lives as though Jesus indeed is coming and he's coming now. Yeah. If we do that, then whatever, whatever forces Satan would try to unleash against us, no worries. I love it. Great counsel. Um, you, did you notice, um, and I, I know you noticed this because we just looked at this a, a few moments ago, but I think this is practical. To, to You can see how these thoughts build one on another, and you guys kind of brought some of this up already in some of your insights. Um, but there, in the scripture we just read, it talks about the, the fact that, that we have been anointed by the Lord, right? This idea of being anointed, being set apart. Um, do you believe that the Holy Spirit has specifically gifted and prepared you for a task that he wants you to do. I see thumbs up and I see nods. Would someone just kind of speak to that? You know, maybe I, can I pick on you, Andrea? I haven't, we haven't heard your voice yet. And I'd, I'd like to hear a female voice if you don't mind. Do you believe the Holy Spirit has specifically gifted and prepared you for a task? Yes. <laughs> Sorry. Um, well, Care I, to elaborate. <laughs> <laughs> um, so uh, I've latched on to and really appreciate uh, the, the verse in Esther that, you know, where Mordecai tells Esther, you know, like you have, perhaps you have been prepared and you live right now for such a time as this. Yeah. And I've just noticed that um, throughout my life, I've seen times where I feel like, you know, like, it's very obvious that God has me who I am and where I am for his glory, for his purposes. And um, so, you know, sometimes that's a matter of the way he has gifted me specifically, what, you know, what, whatever that, uh, that character quality or that ability is that he has given me that ability because he has placed me in a, in a realm where he wants me to use that for his glory. Um, and so, but I don't, you know, I certainly don't think that that's exclusive to um, me. <laughs> I, I right. think all believers, you know, we're told that all believers have been given spiritual gifts and, and we are all for such a time as this, like we are all given you know, what he, what, how he has created us and who he has made us to be. And then the place and time in which we live, it's all on purpose that we are supposed to be, you know, pursuing living in such a way that we are bringing glory to him through those circumstances. And none of those places and times and abilities, none of them are 
coincidental or accidental or, you know, or anything like that. They are very intentional in God's purpose and plan um, for not only our lives, but for his kingdom. Excellent. Excellent answer. Very good. Very good. I think it's healthy for us to, to recognize that we've been gifted and prepared for a task. That the Lord, when he calls us unto himself, he doesn't call us and say, all right, um, you're just going to be a bystander to everything that's going on. You know, he, he enables us to do what he calls us to do. And I think it's interesting when you look at John talking about this idea of being set apart or anointed, you know, that, that, that ultimately this is the function that this is a function that the Lord is accomplishing in your life and in my life. And I think it's useful for us to see ourselves that way. Yeah, go ahead. I was just going to say, I've heard sometimes Christians um, in a moment of self-doubt or putting themselves down or lacking in confidence, whatever it is, like where they have um, discounted that they don't have a gift. They're not, you know, capable of doing something. They're not as, uh, maybe they don't feel like their gifts are as surface or not showy in the bad way, but like they don't show in the same way as other people's gifts. And so they diminish the, you know, that role. And I think that's such an act of, of like Satan trying to impede on us doing what God has planned for us to do. And, and when we, um, when we, when we push that aside and we don't participate in that, we, you know, we negate some of the blessings that God promises to us or, or offers to us. And, and we also are, you know, not participating in his uh, kingdom plans in the way that he intended for us to do. So, like, I think we also have to be careful that, you know, maybe people don't think their gifts or they don't recognize them or they don't think they are important. And that's really not the case and something I think we need to guard against uh, adopting that mindset. Absolutely. Excellent counsel. I've, I've one final question for us this evening, and I, I think it's useful to ask because here you have uh, the Apostle John encouraging us to continue to abide in the truth, right? To abide in what's true, to abide in what's accurate, to, to remain rooted in that and uh, and a and a big aspect of that is is us recognizing the truth of the gospel and how that applies to our day-to-day life. And so I'm just curious if anyone has any good advice on how we can be actively preaching the message of the gospel to our hearts. So meaning preaching the message of the gospel to your own heart. Um, you know, what reminders do you find particularly helpful? How do you go about it? How do you how do you feed your mind and feed your heart the truth of the gospel so that your mind is dwelling on that sort of thing as opposed to a worldly message that so many people are being deceived by? Any counsel or advice? Yeah, Ian. Well, it's really common sense, um, but what's really helped me the most is just um, no matter what uh, happens in a day, just make sure to sit down with the Bible. And, yeah. and read at least a couple of chapters. Excellent. Yeah. Um, one of the best things I've ever done, very similar to what you just said, is to commit to read a chapter of the Bible once a day, every day. You know, in the times that I wasn't committed to that, uh, I noticed a difference when I compare that to the times that I did commit to that. So just sitting down, you know, and how long does it take to read a chapter of the Bible? It's not like they're 50, each chapter is 50 pages, you know, you're talking 30 verses. How long does it take you to read 30 verses? Two minutes, <laughs> you know, I mean, do we have two minutes? Of course we have two minutes. All right. So, yeah. So Ian's suggestion as, 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 um, you know, foundational as it is, right. Just commit to read, right. Commit to read or to listen to it read, right? Um, all right. What else helps you guys? Yeah, Andrea. Uh, so, you know, in moments where sometimes we can be negative about ourselves, uh, the gospel wasn't about us being worthy of God's love and redemption. It's about his love for us and his plan of redemption for us. It's not about whether I am worthy of it. So, um, the you know, the, the idea of preaching the gospel to myself every day, like reminding myself of that is just another one. Like it doesn't matter whether I feel worthy or not, because that's not what it's based on. Excellent. 
Yeah, absolutely. Don, what do you think? What helps you? Just uh, we just went through Holy Week, and uh, on our altar it says, "This do in remembrance of me." Uh, for me, it's that remembering, remembering what Jesus has already done, and then knowing what you know that He will come again. But the the remembering helps me to keep my mind on the future, and the future meaning like having an eternal mindset just keeps it all connected and fresh. But the, I was just uh, the fellowship and that we have on truth and love Tuesday that I come from before I come on this. I had uh, told them on Sunday that God wants me to say that you need to remember this one thing. And then I, I paused it. You know what it is? And it kind of led them on. And it was a, that he rose from the dead. That's the biggest you know, most iconic, miraculous event that ever happened. The only thing that's going to compare is when he comes back again. So today at Truth Tuesday, quite a few of the people that were there were on Sunday, and I asked them if they remembered what I told them God told them to remember. And uh, they didn't do so good, but they'll remember after (laughs) what we did tonight. (laughs) But the remembrance, and we do that when we celebrate the Lord's Supper, you know, and Jesus told them, do this in remembrance of me, not only the Last Supper, but the washing of the feet. And then uh, when he was alone praying in the garden, that that aspect of us, you know, our, our relationship with God is one on one. I'm going to stand before him all by myself. I'm not going to have anybody else to blame or anything else to do. So um, that aspect also of Monday, Thursday remembering remembering holy week all year long kind of keeps me connected excellent very good i know uh oh yeah go ahead paul i was just going to say that uh for those who come from a a liturgical background too it's many aspects of liturgy that can that 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 ground you and uh, all liturgy is grounded in scripture uh but uh so so scripture is fundamental but in addition to that, um, we need to uh, focus prayer, not just simply praying, speak words, but having focused prayer. And uh, I, I try to tell people when I counsel them, if you're praying, uh, pray for, set aside 10 minutes, pray for five, and then shut up. <laughs> because if it's a conversation with God, he's going to talk to you. And and you have to listen because otherwise it's not a conversation. It's just to speak. I wonder how many times um, I have filled my prayer time with, with me just giving God a, a wish list instead of uh, listening to him as, as, uh, as he seeks to speak to me. Um, I know, I know one thing that, that certainly helps me and I'll, I'll just finish us up with this and maybe this would be something that, that those of you um who are listening to this via the podcast can identify with um, as a podcast creator. I'm also very much a podcast consumer. And uh, every night as I go to bed, one of my favorite things to do is to put on a podcast of gospel centered preaching. And uh, I have some people that I keep on a short list of, of uh, you know, they're just faithful to the scriptures and faithful to what the scriptures teach. And um, I, I like to, to put that on as I'm, I'm going to bed. And so I don't always make it to the end of the message because uh, usually I, I fall asleep during it. But I do like the fact that I'm spending the last moments of my day before I drift off into slumber thinking about the Word of God, thinking about what Scripture is trying to point me to, and, uh, and focusing my heart and my mind on Christ. And I, I like culminating my day with that as... Uh, as the finish. And it does help as I'm trying to preach the message of the gospel to my own heart. Well, this was a great conversation. I thank you guys so much for being part of it tonight. And uh, we look forward to getting together again in two weeks. Those of you listening on the podcast, we always invite you to, to join us and be part of these discussions. If you're able in, and, and interested to be part of them live, uh, you could find out more information about them. If you go to desirejesus.com slash Bible study. And there you'll see our schedule, you'll see our upcoming topics, and you'll also find the link to be able to join us live via Zoom if you want to jump on and be part of that in one of the coming weeks. 
Well, thanks again, everybody. It was wonderful, as always, to be able to get, gather together. I'm grateful that even though we all live in, in different places, some of us live near each other, but others live quite far away. I'm just grateful that the Lord allows us to have this time to spend together, and uh, we get to fellowship together in Christ and look at the Word together and, and hopefully build one another up. And I hope you guys have a wonderful remainder to your week, and I look forward to getting together again soon. Hi, I'm Zach. And I'm Randy. And we're from Salty Saints Podcast. We're a theology and apologetics podcast. We hope to better equip you to be salt and light for your community. Uh, We hope that we can help you to go out and be a reflection of Jesus Christ to those around you, uh, to your friends and your family, and especially to those that do not know Christ. To find out more, subscribe at lifeaudio.com.